then you will truly be success. Turn the page. And we know all things work together for the good. Turn the work together. The good. Turn the work together. And we know all things work together for the good. Turn the work together. The good to those who love God. He has word on your lips. To those who are called. Meditate on your According to be his purpose. To do purpose. Together for the good, together. the good, together. and we know all things work together for the good, the good. To those who love God, to those who are called, according to His purpose, purpose is His purpose, not mine. Hey, everybody, put in the comments if you can hear me. All right, today's topic is leave lazy alone, and I need y'all to put it in the chat. Proverbs 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Verse 3 says, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Uh-oh. Lazy hands make for poverty. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The name of the righteous is used in blessings, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Whoever winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. The wealth of the city is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous is life but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Our key verse today is Proverbs 10 and 4. Type it quickly for those who type fast. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So I want to have a conversation with you straight up, and that's why I want to look at you and I speak to you this morning. And I want to tell you, leave lazy 
alone. Leave lazy alone. The purpose in 66 challenge is unique because the purpose in 66 experience should not be confused with profit in 66. Purpose in 66 should not be confused with prosperity in 66. That is why I have been extremely careful and thoughtful around the terms I use when I speak about purpose, because if we are not careful, we will confuse the will of God with the American dream. If we are not careful, we will confuse the will of God with the American dream. That is to suggest that we assume that purpose leads to two houses, a picket fence, three and a half kids and a dog, and the nicest car that just came out last year. But what I see in scripture consistently is that often the very thing that some preachers dub the prosperity gospel are the very things that Jesus said no to in the wilderness while being tempted of the devil. Be careful not to accept tropes, themes, titles that are not consistent with the word. I never saw in scripture that the abundant life is six figures and a savings account. I don't know if you saw it, but I've never seen in scripture that we must own every land that we occupy because ownership is the way of the Lord. I do know, and I have a lot of historical data to prove that ownership blesses communities that are subaltern and ownership assists those who have never had before. But depending on your assignment will determine what you own. This isn't popular. I don't actually hear it preached often, but when we talk about what it means to be a Levite, number one, a Levite is attached to God, not attached to land. And God says for those Levites, those preparers of the temple, those who read the Torah and undergird the experience of the Ark of the Covenant, I need you attached to me. I need you to be so on assignment that your calling may lead you to rent for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean you're anything less. It means I can trust you to be my missionary in the world. And I can tell you, go to Ethiopia this month, go to Jamaica next month, go to Australia the month after, and wherever I lead you, I want you to go. Be careful not to confuse the will of God with the American dream. I want to make sure that you're clear about what purpose in 66 is not. This is not 66 ways to gain profit because I believe that we do it for the outcome, not the income. This is not 66 ways to prosper and to become an entrepreneur. The reality is that many of people will complete purpose, pursue it, understand it, and never own a company. And I don't know where we got this idea in the kingdom that everybody has to be a kingdompreneur. No, you might need that nine to five because one day you're going to retire. And if you don't have a background in business ethics and accountability, your having your own business will help no one. Maybe God is saying to you that your next upgrade is a downsize. So you've got to be really careful around the ways that you understand purpose. Oftentimes, purpose is competing for attention in the belly of comparison. Having said that, we cannot discuss purpose without at all talking about some ways toward understanding wealth. 
When I look at money talks in the scriptures, I am always concerned. In elementary school, no one taught us about money. They taught us to count. They didn't tell us to save. In middle school, nobody taught us money. They taught us subtraction. They didn't teach us a budget. In high school, nobody taught us about money. They taught us what it would cost to go to field trips or to go away on a excursion, but they didn't teach us about money. And Jesus, when you look at the topics that Jesus was always preoccupied with and by, very often you see that Jesus had a lot to say about stewardship. But what I think is most important is that even Jesus had an understanding and philosophy of money that we don't have. He says, yeah, some things are not even true riches. The accumulation of wealth and things, that's not true riches. I think about my grandfather who now owns a property in North New Jersey that is now, when they look at the appraisal cost, it's probably around $1.5 million. I look at my grandfather who was illiterate at 45, who did not have uh, the ability to read and write. And they bought this property when no one else saw any potential in it. They bought it for a little bit of nothing. And they, my grandmother and my grandfather, took time year after year to pay off a mortgage so that their children and their children's children would have a building to use to glorify God. And thankfully, I am a part of this wonderful monumental experience of what ownership does. But what I think I'm most attracted to about this story is that they knew this property does not belong to them. They knew this property belonged to the Lord. They did everything they could to pay off and burn mortgages and do the necessary things so that whenever there was a need in God's kingdom, they could say, we have something that you can use. I want to know what is your motivation for what you're doing? I do not want you to think I hate money. No, no. By all means, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds sorrow. I want to know, are you a slave to your salary? I want to know, has money become your idol? I want to know, is money the Messiah? Because whatever you focus on, you worship, and whatever you worship is your God. I want to know, do you flip out when you go outside and you realize that someone has scratched your car and then you lose it for the rest of the day? Or are you willing to say, you know what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You cannot have honest conversations about purpose without having some conversation around wealth, some conversation around riches, some conversation around compensation. But I do not see the sum total of my calling inside of an offer letter or compensation. Calling is the echo that has been stalking me from childbirth. And this is what I think somebody needs to hear. If they fire you today, you can still purpose tomorrow. If you lose your job today, you can still purpose tomorrow. Glory to God. Because your anointing is in the accumulation of God ideas, not in the monetization of somebody else's. Whoa. Hold up. Your anointing is in the accumulation of God ideas, not in the monetization of somebody else's. The reason I want you to be so uncomfortable with me that you want to fight me some days is because you've given all of your greatest creativity to somebody else who doesn't even appreciate your contribution. So I'm not saying be selfish, 
But I am saying carve out some time to celebrate the creative genius that God gave you, the ideas that you are supposed to materialize in the earth, carve out some time. And here it is, leave lazy alone. The book of Proverbs for me is Practical Theology 101. And the more I have conversations with myself, the more I center myself around who God has called me to be. I heard Dr. Batiste Berry say earlier this week, purpose is progressive. So you will never get to a point where you say, okay, Sean, I finished it. I figured it out. I did all my 66. I looked at all of my 90 days. This is purpose. The very next morning, God will be like, and now turn the page. <laughs> And now, turn the page. And what I see in Proverbs, the 10th chapter and the fourth verse is that lazy hands make poverty. Diligent hands bring wealth. I love that word diligent because when you look at the word diligent, even in Hebrews, it says without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder, here it is, of them who diligently seek him. Laziness is diligence in the wrong direction because your issue is not diligence. When you want to get something done, you get it done. When you want to pay something off, you pay it off. When you want to get in that dress and lose that weight, you figure it out. When you want to go to Bahamas, you make a way. When you want to rob Peter to pay Paul to get to this or that, you do it. Diligence is not the problem. It's diligence in the wrong direction. Because when you are diligent in the wrong direction, then you give birth to lazy ideas, to lazy moments, and to lazy lives. If you can watch a Netflix series in three days, why can't you give your purpose three days to live? If you can go the mile, this is the thing. Me, personally, transparently, I don't shop. I don't go to the mall. I don't enjoy going to the mall. If I could, I would order everything online, have it delivered to the house. But the other problem is I don't take nothing back. So if I can't fit it, I'm not returning it. I'm going to give it away. I can't stand shopping. But you know when I spend the most money in the mall? When I go to the mall to buy somebody else a gift. That's when I see, you know what? I need a pair of shoes. I need another shirt. I need this bag. I need this computer. I need this car. I was going to help somebody else. And now I am overwhelmed because I looked at something that I wanted and I got it. And in the same way, I think that God is trying to get you to see that you've been giving your greatest energies to expendable things. Why not you give some of that time and attention to you? As I close today, I do want you to know that God is not afraid of your income. He just does not want you to do it for the income. I don't think it is a sin to want to have an inheritance for your children, your children's children. I don't believe it's a sin for you to want to live in a, one of, in a beautiful space or a loft or a house or a condominium. In the words of Sister Mary Clarence, if you want to be somebody, and you want to go somewhere. If y'all don't sing this next part, I'm going to block y'all. If y'all don't put it in the chat, I'm going to block y'all. I'm going to wait to see who's going to get the award. Who, who's going to get the award? McNear? Nakaya? Keisha? Lisa? Andrea? Margaret? Y'all get a sticker. Fia? You better wake up and pay attention. What is God trying to show you in plain sight that you refuse to accept? Here are a couple practical ways I want you to leave lazy alone. There comes a time in every worshiper's life, in every creative's life, in every purpose commit, commitment's life that you say, you know what, I've got to change the direction of my life. Old things have to be passed away. I've got to see something different. So number one, 
Here's, here's just my practical piece and I'm done. Number one, make goals manageable. The problem with most of us is not that we don't have goals. We have too many that are not realistic. So maybe downsize those goals and ask, is this manageable and realistic? That's the joy and the beauty of SMART goals. When you do those correctly, you actually make those goals manageable and attainable because the moment that you make high and lofty goals that are impossible, you don't take those goals seriously. Number two, don't expect yourself to be perfect. This is what I know about perfectionism. Perfectionism is the idol of identity that makes us think we don't need God. So if we're trying all day to be perfect, we're making no room for the God who steps in to our weakness and becomes our strength. So don't expect yourself to be perfect. Sometimes you gotta do it afraid. Sometimes you gotta do it without a haircut. Sometimes you gotta do it even if the Zoom call lags. Sometimes you gotta do it even though you know if you had given yourself five more hours to it, you could have shaved off some of the accoutrements. Because here's the thing, what I've learned about purpose is that people want substance. And you so sometimes so focused on the extra that you're not really giving attention to the thing that they're actually needing. Number one, make your goals manageable. Number two, don't expect yourself to be perfect. If this word is hitting you in the big toe, can you say ouch? Number three. Use positive instead of negative self-talk. You'd be surprised how many times you talk yourself out of a million-dollar idea simply because you believe your own hype. And when you get in a room by yourself, you tell yourself you don't need to do it because everybody else is. You don't know what you're talking about, and people will know. The imposter syndrome of insufficiency means let Pastor Sean do it. He's smarter than me. And you'll look at the reality of all that you've done and you'll say, if everybody else is doing it, then why am I wasting my time? And if you allow negative self-talk to become the preacher that pastors you through purpose, you will never get past first base. Transparently, I want you to know I had this conversation with myself this week. I called a friend of mine, Valerie Mason Chase, and I told her her Facebook Live made me want to continue doing the Purpose in 66 curriculum because the enemy knows how to whisper insignificant songs and lullabies in your ear to make you feel like nothing you're doing matter. And I had an epistemological crisis. I said, Lord, am I just doing this for ambition and ego? Am I participating in helping the church come together? Is this really valuable or am I not succeeding? I had a crisis and I literally wanted to just hide. The challenge about doing things publicly for purpose is that when you want to hide, there are 157 participants in the Zoom that are looking and texting you where you at. The reason you need to move your purpose from private to practice in public, the reason you need to move your purpose from private to public is so that you can gain the accountability that sometimes feels like pressure to complete the thing you don't even want to do anymore. And when you are making real impact, that's when the enemy will whisper these lies and you will subscribe to negative self-talk. And very quickly, someone who was demotivated became motivated at the realization that really what I was saying was, I'm seeing other people have more traction, following, and success. So I'm hoping that my measurement of success matches theirs. What I forgot was my mission is different. I'm not doing it to become a mega church pastor. I'm doing it for the one. I'm not doing Antigua for the 50. I'm doing it for the one. I'm not going to Arizona for worship. 
for 120. I'm doing it for the one. The core of my calling is concerned about the one, not the 99. So I've got to always remember the barometer. I feel the anointing that God has given me, the spectrum that God judges, and not necessarily the stuff that the world says that you need to do in order to find success. Success is in scripture. But every time I see success in scripture, I see a success focused on scripture. Joshua says, if you meditate on my law day and night, you will find good success. I didn't see if you have the right algorithm on social media, if you have enough following to get a recommendation to preach at Jake's church, you will have success. And please stop comparing your idea of success to somebody else's, because I promise you, if you really looked under the hood of their thing, they would probably tell you this ain't success. Number four, create a plan of action. Every single morning, what is your plan of action? What is your MIT? And then what is your accountability system to make sure that you do it? Sometimes you got to put yourself on punishment. You got to put the phone off. You got to go into a space that's difficult for you to lose um, concentration and focus and put yourself on punishment and create a plan. Number five, use your strengths. I'm so blessed by so many of you who emailed me telling me thank you for this 90, 90 day challenge. Uh, the reality is I am creating an experience that would have helped me walk in purpose in college. But everything else that I experienced was this or that, not this and that. And sometimes you need a good laugh from Steve Harvey to get over the hill of depression. Other times you need a, a gut punch from an interview that will make you see yourself anew. And sometimes you just need the love and joy of a community that says you can do it. I wanted to create a gumbo of experience where people can see God was speaking to me about purpose all along. I just didn't know. So that's my strength. What's yours? Number six, recognize your accomplishments along the way. I talked about this last night in our safe people group. God, who created the earth in seven days, didn't wait till the seventh day to say this is good. Every day he paused and looked and said, you know what? I'm not where I want to be, but I did a good job today. Number seven, ask for help. I'll stop there. When we ask for help, we actually deploy others into their destiny as well. And maybe the reason that you're not seeing deliverables the way you need to is because you refuse to ask for help from the people who are assigned to you. So today, Father, I pray that you would get the glory. I pray that someone today needed to hear this interruption of sorts. I know that all things work together for the good. And I know that there are times when God, things that don't make sense are not our business. But today, we declare whatever it takes. We are all in. I pray, God, that you would give us the power to leave lazy alone. Help us to remember that laziness is often a symptom of a deeper problem. Maybe laziness is screaming, you're not going to win because nobody in your family did. Maybe laziness is a deeper mental problem that we need to have an honest assessment with in front of a therapist or a psychiatrist. Maybe the laziness that we're feeling is being overwhelmed and inundated by so many things that we can't produce anything. But today, heal us from laziness and lead us to you. We're all in, in Jesus' name, amen.
Ah!